<laughs> Big suspense. Let's go it. A little bit. Looking forward to getting this one out of the way. Bit of a contentious issue, this one. Did I? Yeah. Um, one of the most widely used and yet misunderstood words when it comes to explaining um, our dogs. We use, we so often hear it, and yet we so often hear it misappropriately. So what we're going to talk about today is where, it, why it's uh, been used, so where it came from. Um, one of the implications it has across the board in terms of the language we use to describe our dogs, the way we train, the way we own, our entire dog culture has been affected by this. And a lot of it has been has misin- misinformation or outdated information anyway. And we're going to also go into, at the end, a few myths and a bit of funny old rubbish and hoo-ha that's come up over the years um, because of it, as well as going into what are the alternatives if dominance is not a thing, which it kind of is, but it kind of isn't, hence why all the confusion. Yeah, you'll see once we explain it. So first up, Soph, give us the definition of dominance. So the definition is power or influence over others. And I want everybody to remember that as we're listening to this episode, um, we did talk about last week, theory of mind, um, and if you don't have theory of mind, then you're not trying to influence anyone else's emotions, one of the reasons why it's flawed. So, but the first thing we're going to go through is where did the study actually come from and well, what studies were actually done that led us around to this theory? So the outdated studies, they were done last century and they were based on adolescent wolves in artificial captive environments. So the wolves were given limited resources and they watched and observed um, the behaviour of puppies. So from these studies, we were watching a group of adolescent wolves, of course, like you just said, and Basically, what we saw was there being a lot of conflict over these resources. And we saw the biggest and strongest wolf maintain the resources. And so he got described, or she got described as the dominant one, the pack leader, the alpha. And from that, we watched subordinates kind of groups evolve where through a linear hierarchy or a pyramid hierarchy. And um, basically, there's a few reasons why that's flawed in the first place. This is this is where the term pack lead alpha all came from and this and this is why it's flawed. <laughs> Frankly, wolves for one, they live in family groups. We've since learned, and David Meck, one of the guys that did the study in 1970s, has since come out and stated that wolves do not live like this. One, I mean we were studying them in an artificial environment because it's bloody hard to track a wild group of wolves. Um but they live in family groups where mum and dad, who just, of course, they're the group leader, the pack leader, because they're the parents. parents. Yeah. yeah. They're not trying to um, rule the world or anything like that. Um, but they will guide their, you know, their, the puppies, the pups through their lives. Um, not to be dominant, but because they are simply smarter and wiser with more life skills yeah and um that was a group of adolescent wolves that are unfamiliar with each other and so even watching them together is fake because 
you know, if you brought a bunch of adolescents together, you're going to get conflict. Yeah. It's weird. Um, not to mention the fact that it was an artificial environment and so very tense. We'd taken these animals out of net, out of what they were familiar with and made them very uncomfortable and forced them to be around a bunch of strangers. There was always going to be conflict. And with those limited resources as well, they're going to fight over them. Of course you would. Yeah. That's all you've got. Yeah, there, there's... We'd, we'd be exactly the same yeah. as the species. There's one burger in this room right now. You'd lose. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm don't hungry. <laughs> that makes no difference. You know this. <laughs> but one of the, what it implied was that dogs, or sorry, wolves, were um, out to assert themselves and trying to achieve status. And like I said, we talked about last week, if you can't have perception of others' emotions and not and then you can't have status. So it kind of debunks this whole crap. Um and then of course it got attributed to dogs because dogs being distant ancestors. But what is it like fifteen thousand years? Yeah. Rough, roughly. Yeah. So they're physically, socially and behaviorally completely different. Yes, they're close, but not that close. I mean, even the definition of a pack is a group of animals that hunt, live and kill together. Dogs are living on your sofa, mate. Imagine Django. You know, there's they're they're very different, and so to try and apply um, alpha theory to um, to to dogs is pretty flawed and outdated. Like I say, nineteen seventies. That's a long time ago. And there have been a lot of studies since that um, suggest otherwise as well. And we'll be putting the links up to them all over the, you know, wherever we can for you to read. Now, what this has led to in has been it being blamed. The word dominance is used to blame uh, dog behavior. So, for example, you know, your dog jumps up at you, he's being dominant. Dog jumps on the sofa, he's being dominant. If he's performing any unwanted behaviors, then he's got to learn his rank in the home. Um, and we hear this as trainers all the time, right? Like almost every time. I mean, unless somebody's had picked up a book written this century, which they're not out there that common and they're not easy to get hold of. Yeah, I think if it's all you know, though, from a child, you know, watching your personality on, you know. Well, look. That's, <laughs> that's all I knew. Well, I, you know? I, me and you both, um, yeah. we were brought up as in like you know when we were talking about dogs it was definitely part of our language until we studied yeah definitely and then once you tell people and explain this they go oh yeah and this is not a finger pointing exercise this is this is there this is for everybody to actually understand that you know we've been in this situation we used to teach this way um and then we got a formal education and went oh shit Shit. It doesn't make sense. Mm. Anybody, anybody that is practicing this, um, you know, is probably just not caught up with the latest information, and um, and that's what we're doing it for, because it's not to blame for your dog jumping up, and it's not to blame for your dog sitting on your foot, and it's not to blame for all of this crap. Dominance absolutely exists in dogs. You know, we we call it situational dominance because going back to that definition. You can you can dominate a situation, but to describe it as a personality trait or to blame it for problem behaviors would be just incorrect. Situational dominance is when a, 
there is a resource and two dogs both have interest in that resource. They both value it at that time and they have a conversation and one maintains the resource. That dog dominated that situation. That's the end of it though. It moves on because later in the day, say it was food, for example, the dog might not be as hungry. And so the same two dogs have a very different conversation because the dog that had an eaten earlier in the day is now the hungrier dog, values it more, and the other dog moves away. Not because it's now suddenly subordinate or anything like that. It is frankly just not hungry. And we use this, um, this, this creates a flexible hierarchy. And this is real life. We have this in our world as well. It, uh, the example I often use is the television. If I'm sitting down watching TV and the sport's on and somebody comes in and asks, can I change the channel? Probably not. I really love watching my sport. It's my thing. I sit down. I don't, it's my time to just really enjoy myself. And I really love my team and Liverpool, by the way. And, <laughs> and um, you know, if somebody comes in and asks me if they can change the channel, I'm inclined to go no most of the time when it's on. Yeah, well, it depends how much they value it. Yeah. Because if they were just fancied just using, um, you know, the sofa and didn't really want to listen to the football. Yeah, well, no, well, that, <laughs> then I'm really going to fight for it. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, it's a conversation. And, but at the same time, say it was MTV on the same resource as the television. But, you know, same individual comes in, can I change the channel and MTV's on or The Bachelor's on? 100% you can, there you go. But um, it comes down to how much you value it at the time. Yeah. Because say I've already watched that game and I'm just watching a rerun. It's sad, that's what Well, <laughs> you know, I really, really like it. Oh, I do the same thing. <laughs> but do you know what I mean? It, yeah. I'm, when I say no to that other individual, it's not because I'm trying to dominate them. You know, I'm not trying to influence their emotions. I'm actually only trying to influence mine. Yeah. And so I'm not, I couldn't be described as a dominant individual, but I could be described as dominating that situation. Yeah, because then that's over. That little bit's over. You've watched the footy. It doesn't mean you know, dominate the person. Correct. It's just the situation. Yeah, that's a good explanation. And it becomes a problem, or it becomes a problem for the two individuals when both of them value it the same amount. Yeah. And they have the same pattern of communication, unwilling to back down. And of course, then they escalate their learned pattern of communication to the point where there is a conflict, a big conflict that has been resolved through probably physical force. Again, still not trying to dominate. It just escalated. It's not trying to, not trying to, sorry, not dominate is not correct because they are trying to dominate their situation. This is how easy it is to confuse it. They are not trying to influence the other's emotions. And that is so important to understand. I saw an incident once um, I was at the park and I had one of the, my dogs who um, was a bit dog reactive. So I saw these two meet at the park and then I did a walk around and I thought throwing the ball. I throwing the ball and the dogs are coming back with the ball. And all of a sudden, the other dog wanted that ball more. But the other dog got it. So it just went, nah. I think you've told me this story before. It's a Staffy and a uh, Collie. Yeah. yeah. And the Staffy just went, nah, I wanted that. And just grabbed the other dog and just took it. And 
I couldn't do anything. I couldn't help because I had a reactive dog on me at the time. But it valued that resource so much and I did it. And it just it went on the dog. And it goes back down to that um, learned pattern of communication because, you know, the stuff you probably always valued the book. Um, and being a fast, strong dog, I'd say it's probably practiced being faster and stronger and out muscling. And when it comes across a border collie, who is a bloody strong dog itself, and faster, okay. the staffy will be forced to escalate it, its behavior it, unless it walks away. But that comes down to, again, how much it values it at the time. Because in that moment, that staffy really valued it. And the border collie might not even have valued it as much. It just coincidentally was faster and got to the ball first. But the staffy didn't know how to just walk away. And so then did whatever it took to get the ball, yeah. not trying to dominate the other individual. So these two also just met at the park. Like, so the owners go, oh, hi, hey, Queen, this is my dog. So they didn't know each other. Okay. Yeah. So we've got two people, or dogs in this case, sorry, um, that haven't got a communication pattern, no. like, you know, not familiar with each other. Not friends. No? Yeah. no. Yeah, barely acquaintances. And dogs will change their behavior according to their environment. Um, you know, a dog at home will be different to a dog in the park or on the, on the footpath or at a cafe and stationary or moving or with lots of distraction around it. Every single one of these is a factor. And the simplest way to put that is if you change the environment, then you will change the behavior 100% of the time. And, and that could be something as big as aggression and as subtle as opening their eyes because somebody stood up. You know, you change the environment, you change your behavior 100% of the time. It's the same as people. Yep. You know, some people, someone out in the club or, you know, at a party, different social, social situations. They but, change. Absolutely. But I think the biggest thing, mistake that people make with this is our understanding of the environment. Absolutely. And But I think one of the things that we make the mistake of doing is underestimating, or sorry, overestimating their capability to understand their environment. The big front, frontal part of our brain has this ability to hold huge masses of information. You know, we know exactly where we are in this world on Google Maps if we think about it. And for our environment to change, it would take something quite drastic, like weather would be our description. Um, but for a dog whose brain has got cognitive thinking ability of an 18-month-old child, their environment is extremely present and fluid and flexible. And the slightest movement is a change in their environment. And we forget that. And so for us, yes, if you change our environment, you will change our behavior. But for a dog, their, their environment is so much more dynamic and so so open to change because of the way they perceive it. You have a good story about the dentist. Oh, yeah. So when I always think of it like this, like I will change my behavior according to my environment and those within it. And the dinner table is about So I'm sitting down at the table with my imaginary pal. And Sarah. Good old Sarah. <laughs> One day. And, um, <laughs> and um, me and Sarah have our own relationship. And we will definitely change that according to at home and in public. Um, let's say we're sat at the table with my best mate. And my best mate. No, it's not you. <laughs> Let's pretend it's you. So we're sitting across the table from you. I've got imaginary Sarah next to me, Sophie in front of me, 
and her partner Dusty. And let's pretend I don't know Dusty very well. Okay. But pretend I don't like him. Oh. <laughs> Love you, Dusty. <laughs> Love you too, Dusty. Um, so what I'm getting at is me and, me and imaginary Sarah will have a, one relationship at home. You know, we'll probably fight in the supermarket and at dinner we'll be really um, nice to each other. But then when we're sat across you, again, we're going to change our behavior. We're not we're going to change what we talk about and, you know, everything because we're just engaging with new individuals. And I'm going to say I'm, you're my best mate, so let's pretend. And so oh, let's pretend that, uh, you know, me and you have got our own relationship. And again, like we've got a working relationship and we've got a really good friendship outside of it. But we'll adapt our conversation because Sarah's around because we don't want to talk about work too much. And we're at a dinner table and we're not in the office. And then all of a sudden Dusty's around. And, you know, maybe I'm a bit tense and weird because I don't like Dusty. It's what I'm getting is it's so adaptable. And every single one of these factors, where you are, who you're with, you know, every single second of this change, these changes happen and we adapt our behavior and expect your dogs to do the same. They're not robots. It, they just they they adapt. They they like individuals. They they dislike individuals. They dislike certain places. They love certain places. They associate places with hyper arousal, with fear. They will change their behaviour, and it's that and expect it and listen to them because that is the way you earn uh, their trust is through listening. So what I want to do is just go through a few examples of how easily dominance has been misunderstood. Now last week in the, in episode two rather. Uh, we talked about when dogs meet, um, what are their goals? And it's not to work out the hierarchy. It's to, you've got a stranger in your personal space and now you're trying to avoid conflict because meeting strangers is bloody weird, especially if they're trying to sniff you back. There was a good example that I saw. Um, someone said, if you, if you sit on the floor and get someone to come towards you, how much you feel at that situation? You're like, you know, someone's coming into your space. Mm-hmm. That's how they're feeling as well. Yeah. Well, that's it. You know, straight away, you're confronted with, and we're talking about two dogs meeting on the street, acquaintances and strangers. Different if you know them, of course, but because they've built the trust yeah, or built mistrust based on this conversation we're about to go through. You've got the old school dog that we used to call dominant, where he would typically, you know, go into a deep stare. He'd put his chest out. His shoulders would be high. He'd be very tense and rigid. We used to call that the dominant dog. I call that the dog that can't drop his guard and relax. He's not prepared to give an inch until he is sure that the other dog is not a threat. And remember, his goal is avoid conflict. He's probably practiced this in the past because he's probably a big dog. He's probably just, well, you know, we see little dogs do it as well. Let's not, let's not generalize. But the dog that has practiced it, at the end of the day, if he is still alive, it worked. He's, he, he's achieved his goal of self-preservation and avoiding conflict. And then you've got the, old, uh, the, other, the other end of the scale, what we used to call the submissive dog, the dog that licks the face and rolls on its back and you know, off, softens its body language. We used to call that submissive. It's got the same goal. It's trying to avoid conflict. And in the past, because it's still alive, it believes that worked. Both of them are just speaking a different language. You know, they... They will adapt as well, according to that individual. Going back to our dinner table example, you know, one one pattern of behaviour didn't work with this dog, but it did the other. So they're going to adapt their conversation according to, you know, say for example, 
I know after a few times that Dusty just talks over me. And rather than just being really polite, I've, I've learned to be around Dusty. I've just learned to be a bit abrasive, where I'm not normally like that around other people. Again, it's not about dominance and submission. It's just learned communication patterns and learned over time about different individuals. Well, with Dusty's a really good bloke. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and another example of this would be, you know, we get told all the time about how a dog can control the other dogs by using this um, the, their communication patterns. So, for example, you know, dogs are playing in the dog park. And we talked about a really similar version of this in episode two. But um, say two dogs are just playing in the dog park and dog number three just runs in and stops their game. And so often that gets described as the dominant dog. Well, he's the fun police, but he is all he's doing is stopping the amount of movement around him because he's struggling with that level of stimulation. Like dog parks are hectic. There's a lot of movement, a lot of a lot of arousal. And if the dog is running over to the other dogs and actually trying to stop the others playing, it's because it's not coping very well. And if it's stressed out, then you gotta help it. Don't correct it. Strip it back and make it easier on the dog. Yeah, and shouldn't be there. No, it definitely shouldn't be there. Yeah. And we see it all the time, and then we go, oh, he's got to learn. Yeah. Well, I hate that saying. I hate that too. You know? You teach before you can learn. Yeah. Like, going in and getting told off and learning the hard way sets them up to fail. And, um, you know, getting shouted out creates more fear and nervousness, which means more tense, tension and guarded and probably just increases that problem because they're stressed out in that environment. I'm not going to go into that too much today, but, you know, that, uh, it's no different to the dog that staunches every dog in the dog park and runs up to them and goes, what are you saying? That dog is not the dominant one. That is the one that is so unprepared to drop his guard, he has to go and check every new individual around him because in the animal world, everything is a threat until they can be sure otherwise. And insecurity and dominance don't really add up very well together. They don't. Two plus two equals 53 if you put those two together. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> Other other examples would be when your dog jumps up at you, you know. Yeah. It's probably just got to learn association of hyperarousal. When it greets people, people generally go, hey, hey, fucking go, mate, and just get in their face. Well, of course, then every time he sees a, dog, sees a person, he's got to learn association of you're going to be hyperactive, I'm going to be hyperactive, how are you going? Like, yeah. it's not rocket science. and Or they're just confused. Maybe they've just never been paid and rewarded for sitting. And maybe they get more attention for jumping up. This is them all just trying to achieve positive goals for themselves. I think we um, were all watching a video from TV, um, and he was saying that um, he walked in the door and there was this poodle thing and this uh, eight-year-old woman, and the dog didn't jump on it. And um, he said, oh, that's weird. He jumps on everybody. So, well, I'm a leader and I'm an authority figure. That's why the dog didn't jump on me. Brilliant. So you need to be an authority figure because it's being dominant. This lady was like 83, wasn't she? Yeah. Something like that, I'm guessing. But she was old. Yeah. That dog doesn't that. And you know how to walk into a house, the same as us. Mm. We get that all the time. Oh, why didn't the dog jump? Jumps at everyone. We don't walk in like idiots, like, hey guys, what's going on? Walking calmly. Absolutely. And I mean, the way. You know, you present yourself with, you know, really like imposing body language. Body language is their first language. Yeah. They're not respectful of you. They are fearful of you because you are literally imposing. 
This is not respect. Don't get the two mixed up. You know, walking around trying to dominate your dog doesn't create them to respect you. It creates them to be. Big difference. And I think you said this um, maybe a while ago. In the end, we are the dominant ones. We are giving them food. They're giving them shelter. They're giving them comfort. We're giving them all their resources. So why do we need to be more dominant if we are already dominant? Based on that definition, based on the definition of dominance, Humans are already the dominant one. Yeah. So if you're walking around feeling like you need to assert yourself, go and get a hug off someone because you don't need to with your dog. You know that dogs don't have a superior or inferior like uh, mindset like you and me. Yeah. Um, they, it's stressful for the owner. That's it. You know, and to tell your dog off. No, that's it. I mean. Going back to the what this implied of they're out to achieve status, and um, which the, the you know those studies kind of concluded, it brings around a mindset for owners where they are trying to achieve status back from their dog, as if dogs are trying to rule the world. What a load of crap! What a crap life for a dog owner, and cr- and consequently a crap life for a dog that they didn't even take part in. They didn't, they're not a part of this. It's a man-made thing. And we start running around correcting them and punishing them because we feel that they're trying to achieve status over us and others. Um, and it was never the case. And dogs are getting bullied, basically, way too much because of this whole theory. Um, what we've got next up, guys, is a few old school myths um, that we as trainers, I mean, we hear these all the time. And um, Even as a kid. Yeah. I had these as a kid as well. I've I've done these, so I admit that. And you've probably done them too. And you don't know. Absolutely. I, I, I used to teach people some of these before I got an education on it. Yeah. And it's, um, you know, some of them really, when you think about it, they're laughable. And, you know, when you bring it up in puppy school. Oh, yeah. Yeah. When I bring it up in puppy school, I always say, you know, who's sort of dominance? And then people just say, yes, no. And then uh, when I go through the myths, you just see some of people's faces go, I've, I've done this, I've done that. And I'm like, yeah, so, so why? But now you know. And then you feel like a pork chop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what we're doing this for. We're just giving you the education and the tools to go, hang on, this sounds not right. Nah, we've done this ourselves. Yeah. And we're like, oh, shit. So we'll get started. Yeah, go on then. <laughs> okay. Um, eating before your dog. Yeah, so this is a really common one um, where people get told they've got to eat before their dog because the alpha would eat first, right? Yeah. Um, this is, I don't understand it. I mean, dogs don't have a, a sense of, you know, first come, it's first come, first serve. Yeah. Um, they, they don't have, a, they, I don't know, I just, I really don't know on this one. What are you meant to do every time you feed your dog, call the kids down? What if you've got guests over? Everyone's got to eat out of the dog bowl first. I, there are a lot of dominant dogs if this is true. Because true. feed your dog when it's convenient. That rolls into the next one, which is um, eating out of your dog's bowl. No, well, you drank out of the dog's bowl. Oh. Yeah, okay. Look, let's, let's clarify this. Yes, I drank out of the dog's bowl. Yes, someone across from me stitched me up on national television. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> we'll put the link up. You can see me drink out of the dog's bowl. <laughs> it was great. It was great. You um, 
You look great. <laughs> it was a great day for me. Um, <laughs> but no, I mean, look, that's the kind of extra extra level of crazy, isn't it? You've got to eat before your dog. If that's not enough, then prove to them that it's your bar and you're the one in control of the bar. In fact, we used to teach people in a puppy school um, about if you wanted your dog to, um, you wanted your dog to learn that you could take the bowl away. So in puppy school, we used to teach people that while your dog's eating, go and um, remove the bowl so that it knew that, you know, you were the dominant one. Genuinely, you used to teach this shit. And nowadays, when I look at it, I'm like, you're a moron, mate. Because, honestly, if somebody consistently put their hand near my food every time I was eating and tried to take my food away, let's say you create resource garden. You create... You- <laughs> don't t- don't touch my food, mate. I know. I'm like I would not touch your food, even though I do before. I was like, oh, chicken. Yeah, <laughs> literally an hour ago. I know, but I mean, I was pretty hungry as well. <laughs> yeah, well, but it's that consistency, isn't it? You know, if if the hand always comes in and takes the food, then eventually you can, you're trying to test your dog, and they will respond as if they're being tested. They will crack and they will break, or they would just give up, which is a crap life. Um, what we teach people now, for the record, is while your dog's eating, leave it alone. If you do need to prepare for removing the bowl, practice putting your hand near and dropping something of higher value. So, for example, if they're eating their biscuits, drop a piece of chicken in, and over time, your dog learns that your hand coming near the bowl is the best thing ever. That one time when you might need to lift the bowl because you know your friends have come over and you don't want to have any opportunity of resource guarding or whatever reason that one time when you take the bone away you know sure it's a little bit confused but he's not anticipating you being a dickhead and trying to steal his meal yeah this one we hear a lot um if your dog is higher than you they're more dominant yeah the higher the dog the higher the status i suppose yeah um going back to because linear hierarchy um is also tangible um <laughs> i had a fight with someone i was drinking which is probably not the best idea but he told me that every night he'd come home and he'd stand on the couch with his dog and go, I am more dominant than you every single night. And I was like, mate, you're just lifting your dog up on the couch. He's saying it in English as well. Yeah. The dog was probably like, oh, yeah. Because that's his... Lift up. Because <laughs> yeah, a hug every night. Maybe the guy just needs a fucking hug. Yeah. <laughs> and does he have to be like, dog. You get a, bit, get a bit heated. Yeah, because I was just like, he felt so strongly about it. You're just lifting your dog up. And then speaking in a foreign language. Yeah. Brilliant. I mean, am I right in saying that was a French bulldog? (laughs) I mean, the dog's first language, if it's human, is French. Just saying. It's so far off the mark. Like, unless he's going, nah. (laughs) What a load of crap. Imagine coming home every day, though, and feeling the need to assert that shit over your dog. Uh, Again, going back to shit life for people shit life for dogs like everybody's just confused yeah it's like everybody's just confused by this goddamn theory it's just useless next um, up another <laughs> one is um if your dog walks in front of you it's more dominant than you. that's it apparently it's only applied on the lead because yeah. if you let your dog off lead and run around the park then it's not a magic helper because it's in front of you but it's not on lead um i, I, get, I get this a lot a lot of people are like, well, it shouldn't walk in front of your car. And I said, as long as the lead's loose and as long as they're in a good state of mind to be learning, then I don't care where they walk. Mm. Like dogs, are con- dogs are physically faster than us. That, that is not a secret. Um, <sighs> Damn it. So, of course, 
now you've seen my somatics now is my first thing you <laughs> the um the consequent if what happens is if when you're walking if you haven't trained the dog to choose to walk next to you and choose to walk at your pace then your dog will move faster than you and be in front um now originally we trained dogs to walk next to us because of military reasons we had guns on our right and uh or horses on our right and so we were training them to walk on the left but you know when we're training the dog to walk on the lead get it to choose you rather than correct it for being in front i mean we're going to go into that in socializing in the future if you're walking around smashing your dog up or just walking in front of you um it's walking around anticipating danger terrible frame of mind for socializing because it's in high alert um but no your dog does not uh have to walk behind you so that you can prove that you're the alpha. What a load of crap that is. Um, this is another one we seem to get a lot. Um, if your dog leans on you or rests on your feet, it's more dominant. Okay, so a couple of types here. You know, you've got the whole um, one where the dog rests its head on your lap, um, really common. Um, and for some reason, people are saying, oh, your dog's trying to assert itself over you. Probably not. Um, if you massage around its ears area, and it's really, really, really rewarding. It's an amazing chemical response from that, and so probably just bloody enjoys it. Um, and so do you? When I lean on someone, I probably just want to hug. And that's oh, it. Affection, attention. When you pat your dog, and this is assuming that you like dogs and your dog likes you as an individual, not people, you. If you pat your dog in that in these circumstances, both of you get a chemical release of oxytocin, which is the love hormone. And so both of you are more inclined to repeat it because it is a very enjoyable hormone. That's why they rest their head in there. Yeah. The other one is resting, coming to sit on your foot. And actually there was a video of me years ago in a park uh, training, and this is before I knew what I was talking about. And what I was teaching people was this dog was resting on my foot and I, was, I actually said to everybody, no, do not let them do this. He's trying to assert himself over me right now. Now, obviously, I was well off the mark, and I took this video down because I was very embarrassed. But it's the truth. I did. And, and that's it. That's all you knew at this time. Yeah. This dog was in a really uncomfortable situation, surrounded by stranger dogs and stranger people. Never actually been to this park before. It was down. It, they drove all the way from the Shire to come and get really bad advice from me. And um, the um, dog was super uncomfortable. And was actually leaning on um, people because it really liked people and was trying to get a chemical reaction to make itself feel better in a stressful moment. Yeah. That's all. Certainly not trying to dominate me. No. Uh, we already covered this one, but jumping. Yeah, no, no, jumping up on beds and sofas, we have not. Oh, uh, no, we have, but not beds and sofas. Yeah, yeah very basic on this one. Um, yes, it's your bed and it's your sofa. Um, but your dog doesn't know that. It doesn't. Um, we put a lot of value on physical things. Uh, we name them, and we name the dog bed the dog bed. The dog doesn't get that memo, and so he's looking for a comfy resting spot. He doesn't think to rest in allocated places like we would. Unless you teach. Exactly. It's not natural for a dog to um, always use a bed, though. They will rest wherever they want. Um, and, yeah, it's the comfiest place in the room. It's the reason why we sit on it. You know, they, um, we sit on it because it is my back hurts if I sit on the floor too long. 
that dogs have got a completely different anatomy, um, but they're still going to very much enjoy that lovely comfy sofa. That's why they get on. They find it rewarding. Trying to influence their emotions, not ours. And then the next one, the good one. Um, you have to go through doors first. Yeah, this is one of my favourites. As <laughs> your Yeah, because dogs know what doors are. That's the thing. Um, <laughs> no. I'm not. No, dog on earth is a completely man-made thing. I mean, and apparently, this is my favourite part, it's only bloody front door. Yeah. Because the, the front door is fucking magic. <laughs> dog door doesn't count. Back door doesn't count. Living room door doesn't count. But as soon as your dog goes to go out the front door before you, suddenly trying to be an alpha. <laughs> what the hell? Um, look, don't get me wrong. Training your dog to wait, and again, I mean like very pedantic with my language here. I train my dog, I reward my dog for waiting as the front door's open rather than correcting him for moving. I train my dog to wait at the front door so that he doesn't go out like a bull in a china shop because it freaks me out. There are cars, there are other dogs, potentially runners, cyclists, people. I ask for him to slow down in this moment because it is practical, not to be dominant. You'll be in the wrong gear. He's shooting at that door in that mind frame. Yeah, exactly. And so when we're training these things, it's about using common sense, not to assert ourselves. That's so important that this yeah. can realise. You cannot convince them that they should like it because you do. That's right. Not having theory of mind means they are not psychic. So <laughs> if you, if they don't, if say, for example, they're walking down the street and they get spooked out by the bin, and you know, you know as a rational person what a bin is, for one, they don't, but you knowing that doesn't mean shit to the dog. You going over and giving the bloody bin a pat on the head doesn't make them think that the bin is now not a threat. What happens is, if you take the time to slow down and walk over to the bin, in that time the dog's arousal level potentially can come down to the point where it can process information and realise the bin isn't moving. And so is less threatening potentially. Or it may stay freaked out and learn the bin the crap. But you going over and patting the bin really is you being a lunatic. Stop it. It's the equivalent of I'm scared of wasps. Sophie's not scared of wasps. Now, if Sophie just decided to catch that wasp and put it under a jar, she can show me it. She can pat the jar if she wants to be a lunatic. But her doing that does not convince me to not be scared of wasps. That's my, that's my fear. That's I how get, you feel. Yeah, yeah. I, I get to choose my stresses. And I get to choose the things that I like. like and actually, you know, and choose isn't even the right word. Because it's not a choice. So if your dog is petrified of something, desensitize it to it gradually. And build its tolerance up gradually. Don't go and give it a bloody pat on the head if it's been. Seen lots of people do that, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's so important. Um, saying fear's not a choice um, because a lot of people think, "Oh, it'll be fine," and just go past that again. Or but it's like, no, that's how the dogs feel. Mm-hmm. You need to make them feel better in that moment. That's right. Okay, what <clears throat> we what have we got next? Um, Tension through the lead. One of my another one of my favourites. So, if you're walking down the road and you see a dog coming towards you and you get tense and your dog starts reacting, it's not because you got tense. It's because you pulled on the lead and removed its option to run away. 
and you have either caused frustration that it can't get to the dog, so it starts barking and venting because it's overstimulated, or it's activated the fight response because it's so scared that the option of running away has been removed, and so it barks, lunges, and of course, the, consequently, that dog walks away, and so that dog practices aggression. On this note, aggression is not nothing to do with dominance whatsoever. Aggression is a conflict um, for a dog. A conflict for the dog is a last resort. Survival says conflict and aggression is a terrible way of surviving. Your dog's danger brain, fight flight center, is kicked in, and it's not a choice. And we're going to go into solving problem behaviors in the future, but let's just categorically state aggression is not a dominance issue. Um. So I have a story about the um, tense leash as well. So I had a client and um, he previously had a rescue dog that was dog wrecked. And um, it would attack every dog. So it couldn't really walk it that much because every time it was um, attacking the dog in the street. So he broke up with his ex-girlfriend and he got a puppy, he got a bulldog. And um, he called me over because he was like, every time, I'm walking, my dog's like lunging above the dog. And I watched how he had the leash and he was preempting because of his previous dog, he would tense as soon as he saw the dog. So with this little puppy, he was tensing when he saw another dog and like, stop. I'm like, you're tensing, your dog's flight has gone away. Let's be clear. Like, so when, when he's tensing, what he's doing is pulling on the lead and putting pressure on the dog's collar or harness. Yeah. So he's pulling so that the, and now the dog consequently feels restrained or trapped. Mm -hmm. And once I explain that to him and, you know, walk up on the dog again, it was fine. Mm -hmm. But he was like, I didn't actually realize I was doing that because I was so used to doing that with my old dog and being like, huh, was the dog shit? And this is where, you know, people get told um, using the old dominance technique that if you remain calm, then your dog will remain calm. Dogs aren't bloody psychic. Like, it's cause and effect. Yeah. If you get flustered, your decision-making goes down because the higher the arousal level, the lower the ability to process information. You'll hear me say this a lot, but yeah. it applies to dogs and people. Well, that's the thing. He didn't even know who was doing it. Hmm. I was like, you're pulling the leash. He's like, am I? Like, yeah. Yeah, because he's now panicking. Yeah. When he sees a dog, he's got a learned association of panic because of prior learned experience. Yeah. Just like a dog could have, and just like his previous dog would have had. But his puppy didn't. But he's now consequently setting his dog up to fail because he's now panicking. He's put himself in a situation where he was compromised as an owner. Yeah. Not necessary. But at the same time, um, you know, this is why he got help, I suppose, and good on him, and you've been able to help him with it. Yeah, definitely. And I'm so glad that he got me in at the start. The dog was searching me cold and like that. That wasn't later on. Yeah, and this is what just leash frustration. Yeah. You know, I want feedback from that dog over there and I'm going to move towards it and now I'm being restrained and it, adrenaline's gone up and I'm venting, barking. Yeah. It's not aggressive, but it's 100% inappropriate. Yeah. And, you know, it's just cause and effect. It's simple cause and effect. Um. So for the last one is, this is the big one. I yeah. think we, um, yeah. We see this way too much. Yeah, I mean, it's very, we hear about it way too much. Yeah, yeah. Um, so physically putting your dog on its side, pinning it down, alpha roll, I think it's called. Yeah, alpha roll. Yeah. Oh, wow. I'm pretty sure it's called an alpha roll. Brilliant. Um, at the end of the day, 
the more physical control you have over your dog or have to use over your dog at that time, the less control you're actually in. Because we, we really do encourage people to build verbal relationships with their dogs where they can communicate what they want and don't want verbally so that they don't have to get into a physical race or fight with their dog. But unfortunately, it's such a crap way of owning a dog. That old method really does. Because we saw wolves um, use their mouths. And this is something that we see people do. It's like, my, my hand is uh, a mouth. No, it's not, mate. It's a bloody hand. Like, oh, yeah, I remember. Yeah, and it's not like, and actually, you know, on this as well, like if your dog is jumping up or mouthing you, don't squeeze its paws and don't bloody bite your dog back. This does not show that you're an alpha. Um, I've had a lot of people saying they bite their dog on the nose or the ears and show that they're more dominant. Yeah. Like, the dog's going to bite you one day. Yeah, exactly. I mean, on this, you know, you, it implies you've got to use a lot of force and corrective measures to train dogs. And I, t- I said it earlier, when you're using physical force to control and correct and basically, I'm going to say, abuse your dog, um, you're going to get learnt helplessness and it will submit to you in the sense that it is given up. That is not dog training, that's dog bullying. And, um, you know, we really should be teaching pe- teaching dogs what we would like from them proactively. You said it in episode two where, you know, we, we tell them, no, 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 don't, 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 so much. And yet we never spend that time and energy training them what we want. Um, let's go into, like, they're the myths and yeah. a load of crap. There's one more that we missed on there, but um, I think we've both had it once. Go on, where, where is it? Um, the guy was peeing when he stopped. Oh, yeah, that's great. <laughs> like, so I had this um, a couple months I was working with, and they'd had a previous trainer that literally said to them, I pee on my dog's bowls every day so that they know that I'm the alpha. That guy needs a hobby. Um, he needs to pee in the toilet. He does. That would be a really good hobby. Toys are in their bowls. That is disgusting. I think it's something to do with scent marking. Either way, don't do it, guys. Really weird. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That that is (laughs) that's all the myths we've we'd actually love to hear as well. If you've got any myths that you've heard about or any questions, even if you think like even if you've been told them and you're not sure, email them to us or put them on social media, and let us know, and we'll let you know because. This is a discussion, as we said. So we want to discuss this issue with everyone. Exactly. But let's make something clear. Dominance is not to be blamed for problem behaviours. Yeah. Categorically not. Mm-hmm. And it's just the, there is a breakdown. There can be a breakdown in communication, but that is not because your dog is trying to assert itself. It's because we aren't able to communicate with our dogs very well. Dogs, for the record, okay, let's go into it. How do dogs build relationships? If it's not through linear hierarchy, it's through a flexible hierarchy. And what they're trying to achieve is positive relationships with those around them. That's it. I want to be able to trust the individuals that I spend time with. And trust comes from listening. And calm communication is the best way to earn the trust. So just gentle, little passive gestures, you know, um, just really eye contact, body language without being too pushy. Um, They'll be the dogs that are really liked by others and so tolerated more by others. That dog that is always pushing for more feedback is so insecure, it just needs more feedback all the time. 
is probably in a higher state of arousal and can't even acknowledge the information it's receiving at the time. The dog that is running around the house telling all the others to stop is not the alpha. He's the one that can't cope with all the change in his environment. Now that bit might upset a few people, but it's true. The dog needs a bit more help and a bit more of a consistent environment. And it may well have been practicing it for a long time, but just because you've seen it for a long time and normalized it, I think that that dog's quality of life can improve. Yeah, I think you have a, a good story about um, a toddler running around the house. Yeah, so, you know, when I'm trying to, when you see a dog trying to stop the others moving, we gave this example in episode two, but I'll go through it again. It's very applicable here. Um, when you see a dog trying to stop the others moving, it is the equivalent of me standing there and a toddler just running around and running around and running around. And eventually I'm going to go, I might get to a point where I, my tolerance levels are hit and I'm like, I actually find him is quite annoying. And so I might ask him, let's call him Henry. Hey, Henry, can you slow down, mate? And he ignores me. Hey, Henry, can you slow down, mate? And he ignores me again. Henry, can you slow down, mate? And he ignores me again. And eventually I might go over and grab Henry by the hand and go, hey, buddy, mate, I've asked you three times, do you mind slowing down? And, you know, he might have a tantrum. He might go, yeah, no problem. But what, what I'm getting at is I was trying to influence my emotions and not the other dogs, not, the, not Henry's. And same with the dogs. You can get a learned association so that every time Henry appears, I'm like, oh, bloody Henry. I don't like this kid. And this is what happens with adults. They just yeah. get a learned association. Um, and they end up jumping to this conclusion. And that's the person that can be eventually called a personality trait. But that personality trait is described as a low tolerance, not dominant. Very different. Very, very different. Not trying to assert yourself to influence their emotions, but only trying to influence our own. Now, the bottom line is they just want to feel safe and comfortable. That's it. And they remember that that lack of theory of mind means that they're only ever presenting information of how they feel. And if we notice that our dogs are overstimulated, hyper-aroused, fearful, anxious, stressed out, listen to them. Um, that's what they're communicating. If they're communicating, they're happy. Let them, let them carry on. If they're communicating, they're sleepy. Let them sleep. But listen to them. Learn your individual dog's characteristics and um, traits and understand what they're saying and don't apply dominance to this. And see if you can relearn by just watching your dog because they're non-verbal communicators predominantly. Eye contact, body language, they're always just, their bodies are always presenting us with information, little subtle movements in and out and touching things to find, for information. And information is their currency. It, it, Information brings clarity, clarity brings comfort, and that is all they want. So when we're exposing them to, their, to an environment, and remember that a dog's behavior is a result of what we expose them to because we control their resources, because we control their food, walk time, where they go, where they sleep, absolutely every element of their life. We control where they put them, it's up to us to make sure that they always feel safe in that environment. And We'll earn their trust if we do this. And we'll in turn trust them more because there's less problem behaviors. Yeah. And I think the most important point too is to remember every dog's an individual, every dog's different. No matter if you've had that breed before, every dog is different. They might have the same traits, but they're an individual, just like humans. So treat them like that. Absolutely. I mean, how many times have we heard it? 
You know, I heard one. This was one of my favourites, actually. Pugs? No, was it Shih Tzu's? Shih Tzu's won't wear harnesses. Oh, yes, I remember that. <laughs> it was a puppy, a breeder. Yeah. And um, she told one of the um, clients in our puppy school, this is when you first up teaching puppy yeah. school for us. And, um, yeah, the breeder had told her that Shih Tzus won't wear harnesses. She's had Shih Tzus all of her life, and not one of them ever wore, wanted to wear a harness. Now, she was either really bad at putting harnesses on, or um, she, uh, I have no idea where she got this nonsense from. But to generalise an entire breed that way is absolute horseshit. But also to say it to an owner who's never owned a dog before as well. So this is this owner's first dog. So she's coming to me going, I can't put a harness on it. I got told no. Yeah, it's the same moment that we've got told to feed the puppy um, wheat vixen milk. Yeah, yeah. Just, that'll do it. That's its entire life diet for six months. You don't get a grip. Um, it's, um, there's a lot of nonsense out there. Um, so we really do encourage people to um, update their information. And we're doing it regularly. Absolutely. Yeah. And, um, you know, we're lucky enough to have some amazing mentors and uh, people to bounce off. And, you know, I encourage people to go and listen to others other than us as well. Because one of the things I still do to this day is go and learn um, how people communicate with it. Because if, if this may be the first time you've ever heard it. And it, some of it may sink in and some of it may resonate and some of it you might think is crap. But go and listen to other people talk about it as well because I was, I, I'll be honest, like all of this stuff, like I say, I used to teach this and I was adamant. I, I did not want to be wrong. And then arguments against dominance theory I've had with myself because I didn't want to be wrong. So what I did was I actually went out and learned from people that I didn't agree with and it was hard. I didn't, I didn't. I didn't want to be wrong. I know I keep saying it, but, but what I found was there was all of this scientific evidence that I couldn't argue with. Yeah. And you can't argue against a study based on observing wolves in captivity with update information on the brain and the science of how neuroscience works. It's just, after a while, I, gave, I, I just went, I, I was wrong. Yeah. And, I'm, and I, I'm so glad I did yeah. because it's meant... I train dogs in a much nicer and kinder way and I teach people in a much nicer and kinder way. I think in this industry as well you need to keep an open mind because we're always learning and there's always new studies and there's always new people coming out with new information. So this is why we're trying to update ourselves to the best of our That's right. Yeah. So guys, we really appreciate you listening to this. If you've got all the way through this, you've done really well. So thank you very much. Um, we will be putting information up because we know it's a contentious issue. Yeah. Um, but uh, And we will treat all of your feedback and questions with the absolute respect. We do ask the same from you as well. So remember, folks, a healthy dog's a happy dog. Ooh. And that was the podcast.